In their review for From Beyond, Siskel and Ebert, while fairly positive, were dismissive of the BDSM which runs throughout the film. They saw it as an excuse to get Barbara Compton into a uh, leather bustier and thong. However, after close rewatching, I think there's an argument to be made that the motif of sadomasochism is congruent with the film's theme of pushing the boundaries of knowledge. Cecil and Ebert might disagree with me that a predilection for kinky sex is analogous with a passion for experimental physics, but I think Plato would totally be on board. Hey guys, welcome to episode 3 of Deconstruction Junction, a podcast that uses philosophy to explore unconventional interpretations of popular media. My name is Brad Dunn. I hope you enjoy the show today. Before we get into it, I want to let you guys know that I've launched a Patreon account, patreon.com slash braddunn, D-U-N-N-E. I don't know if it's presumptuous of me to do that at this point, but I figure there's no harm in trying. Uh, I'm still feeling my way through it, so if you have any suggestions, please shoot me a message. You can find me on uh, the big three social media platforms. Look me up on Facebook as Brad Dunn dash author. My Twitter handle is Brad Dunn seventeen ninety six, and my Instagram is author Brad Dunn one word. Drop me a line, and I'll get back to you uh, as soon as possible. I'm also super stoked to tell you guys that my debut novel, After Dark Vapors, is now available on Amazon. I'll have more details about that at the end of the episode. Today's episode is called 50 Tentacles of Cthulhu. And if you couldn't tell by the cold open, I will be discussing the connection between BDSM and the thirst for forbidden knowledge as depicted in the film From Beyond. To do this, I'm going to be drawing on perhaps an unexpected philosopher, in fact, the philosopher himself, Plato. My first two episodes featured prominent postmodernists, so I figured I'd give you guys a different perspective this time. One of the major reasons why I started this podcast was to provide uh, a modest inoculation against the oftentimes willful misconceptions out there right now around postmodernism. That being said, uh, I also would like to dip into as many different eras of philosophy as possible as this podcast progresses. I don't own stock in any particular philosophy or philosopher. I'm a big advocate for studying the entire history of the subject. Uh, One of the great pleasures of reading philosophy is discovering someone from hundreds of years ago living in circumstances seemingly far removed from yours can illuminate something about the world you're living in. That experience is probably what got me into philosophy when I was doing general electives in my first year as an undergrad. Uh, And I would actually end up going on to write a master's thesis on Plato. Uh, And if you're familiar with Plato, you've probably heard about uh, the cave and maybe even the forms, both of which feature prominently in the Republic his most famous piece of writing. Personally, I think too much is made of the forms. Plato deploys them as a metaphor for concepts, and ever since scholars have really latched onto them as the centerpiece of his philosophy. For me, Plato's real interest uh, was how do we move from particulars to the universal? 
for example. There are many different versions of a chair, but how do we recognize them all under the general form of chair? What is this concept of chairness? For Plato, universal concepts were real things, uh, not just something we make up in our heads, like they're actual things. And he spent much of his career trying to figure out how that would work metaphysically. Um, the forms uh, were one analogy among many. Moreover, uh, Plato was also interested in what drives us to even consider these questions at all. Why are people driven to be philosophers or scientists or scholars of whatever kind? Why do we have this urge to consume knowledge? Why do we care about the forms? Um, and this is taken up in uh, the, di uh, the dialogue, the symposium, which is what I'll be drawing on for this episode. All right, so we got Plato, we got Lovecraft, and we've got BDSM. Uh, let's get down to it. As for usual, big time spoilers ahead. Also, not only does From Beyond contain explicit sex scenes, it's also a very typical ultra-violent 80s horror movie. Uh, if that sort of stuff is in your bag, then, well, you've been warned. Okay, now a quick recap of From Beyond. The film is an adaptation of the short story of the same name by H.P. Lovecraft. The story itself is actually quite short, especially by Lovecraft's bloviating standards, I would say. It basically serves as the film's intro. Most of the running time is screenwriter Dennis Paoli expanding on the story. That being said, I think Paoli does a fantastic job staying true to the spirit of Lovecraft and really hits those uh, Lovecraftian themes. We begin with uh, Crawford at Tillingast and Edward Pretorius. They're physicists performing some radical experiments with a bizarre machine called the Resonator. When the machine is turned on, it allows people within its radius to see beyond their normal perception and engage with an alternate dimension. Strange creatures begin floating around the scientists. One of them attacks Tillinghast and he urges Pretorius to turn the machine off. Pretorius refuses. Tillinghast leaves the house. Some neighbors have called the police and they apprehend him outside. The cops come inside and find Pretorius decapitated, like his head was twisted off. Uh, Tillinghast is charged with homicide and sent to a mental institution. At the ward, Tillinghast is treated by Dr. Catherine McMichaels, played by horror queen Barbara Compton. He tells her about what happened and she orders him a CT scan, which reveals an enlarged pineal gland, which has played a big role in pseudoscience throughout history. Descartes believed that it was the principal seat of the soul, basically where the soul controls the body. Uh, McMichaels is intrigued and asks Tillinghast to recreate the experiment at the mansion. They are accompanied by Detective Bubba Brownlee. When they first arrive and start poking around, Brownlee finds Pretorius' playroom, and we're not talking about Xbox. Pretorius was into BDSM and enjoyed torturing women. Tillinghast gets the resonator going, and again the little critters come out. Worse, a squishy version of Pretorius appears, talking about existing in a plane beyond our own dimension. Uh, Tillinghast shuts the machine down, and he and Brownlee want to destroy it, but, but McMichaels refuses. She's convinced the resonator could be the cure for all sorts of mental illnesses. 
uh, we watch as she transitions from button-down psychologist to big-time kink enthusiast playing around with Pretorius's toys. She turns the machine back on and shit hits the fan. Bubba is killed and Tillinghast is severely hurt before they're able to turn it back off. McMichaels takes Tillinghast back to the hospital, however, now the staff thinks that she's lost her mind now too and prep her for shock treatment. Meanwhile, a very phallic pineal gland is projecting from a sphincter in Tillinghast's forehead. The imagery here is hardly subtle. The doctor tries to cut off the gland, but Tillinghast escapes and starts eating people's brains. McMichaels uses the chaos to escape. She gets her hands on a bomb and returns to the mansion to blow up the resonator. Tillinghast follows her and there's a confrontation with a monstrous Petorius before McMichaels is able to blow it all up. She escapes but has now certainly lost her mind. Alright, lots to unpack here. <clears throat> Anyone familiar with Lovecraft will immediately recognize Pretorius as one of his common tropes, uh, the scientist investigator who craves knowledge but ends up getting more than what he bargained for. Lovecraft saw the world as a fundamentally chaotic place. The monstrous gods that he created were metaphors for this philosophy. For Lovecraft, the universe was indifferent, if not outwardly hostile, to the human race. Many of his characters are scientists or investigators who are trying to uncover some kind of secret, either a scientific breakthrough, a secret cult, or a lost civilization. Most times these pursuits bring them to the point of madness. And this is obviously the case with Pretorius and to a lesser extent McMichael. So what does a BDSM have to do with this? What's the point of making Pretorius and McMichael's kinksters? In this commentary track for the Blu-ray, screenwriter Dennis Paoli says that Pretorius is, in typical Lovecraftian fashion, someone who is always trying to go beyond. He is, be it intellectually or sensually. He wants to see things that normal people can't. Therefore, it makes sense that drive uh, to extend that drive to his sexuality. He's trying to go beyond normal sexual practices and find new experiences. But I think we can draw a stronger connection here between sensuality and intellectualism. And uh, that's why I want to draw on Plato. In the Symposium, Socrates joins a bunch of his buddies to participate in an ode to Eros, the Greek god representing love and desire. In Roman mythology, he's known as Cupid. Uh, a lot of the translations of the Symposium refer to Eros simply as love. But that's a mistake. It doesn't capture the specific connotations of the Greek word eros, which is affiliated with erotic love, right? Hence the word. Also, a quick note for anyone familiar with Plato, he wrote mostly dialogues, which is to say several characters discussing an idea, sort of like a play. Socrates is usually the main character, you could say, and Plato never really appears as himself. That's led many interpreters to think that Socrates is Plato's surrogate, but I'd warn against such a direct analogy or comparison. To me, Socrates is more like Plato's favorite protagonist, and these dialogues should be read just as much as uh, pieces of literature as philosophy, keeping in mind things like irony and metaphor. All right, so a bunch of participants go through their odes before uh, their odes to Eros before Socrates' term. 
and they all kind of build each other in interesting build on each other in interesting ways but i don't want to get too deep into the dialogue itself i just want to stick to what's relevant to um from beyond and uh so then towards the end it's finally socrates turn and he starts by saying that eros is a desire for what one lacks uh, Socrates draws on the mythology of Eros's birth, saying that he was born of contrivance, his father, and poverty, his mother. Because he possesses qualities of both, he's always in need, but is very resourceful in getting what he wants. Accordingly, as mortal beings, we long for immortality. This is why we're driven to propagation. It's a form of immortality that we can achieve within our mortal lives. We are also driven to create intellectually so that our works may live on after us, which is another form of immortality. Socrates really emphasizes the pattern here. We start at the physical level. We see the beauty in each other's bodies. Then we move on to the concept of beauty itself to consider what unites these beautiful things. Uh, we, so we move from the material and the particular to the abstract and the universal. However, the desire is still very much the same, that desire to create, to achieve immortality. Uh, if we strip away some of the highfalutin language here, it's not hard to see how this applies to our lives. When we're young, all we think about is sex and getting laid, but as we grow up, we start thinking about having a family and a career. Uh, the same goes for relationships. We're initially drawn by a person's appearance, and then that honeymoon period burns off, and we start to think about how our personalities match and whether that's a solid foundation for a relationship. Uh, what I find most interesting is that Socrates is really respecting that first moment of attraction, the physical. When people talk about platonic love, it's usually just a synonym for asexual. But judging by the symposium, I don't think that's the case at all right uh, it makes me think too about you know how many famous artists and musicians whatever what have you uh, like Picasso or John Lennon will say you know <laughs> when they got into it they basically just wanted to impress women but as their appreciation of their craft deepened uh, they got more in touch with the artistic side of it right the concepts as opposed to just using it as a vehicle uh to get laid but then that still never really goes away does it but the idea of plato's uh movement from first the physical then to the abstract is really hammered home at the end of the symposium when alcibiades shows up uh, Alcibiades is asked to contribute his own exposition on Eros, but instead offers a praise of Socrates and describes his failed attempts to seduce him. Alcibiades explains that when he is with Socrates, he is smitten with a philosophical frenzy, a sacred rage. However, Socrates repeatedly rebukes Alcibiades' affectations. He tells Alcibiades, if you're trying to barter your own beauty, for the beauty you have found in me, you're driving a hard bargain. You're trying to exchange semblance of beauty for the thing itself. Alcibiades' mistake is that he is working down the ladder by starting with an attraction to Socrates' spirit and from there moving on to the physical. As Socrates points out, 
quote, the mind's eye begins to see clearly when the outer eyes grow dim, and I fancy yours are still pretty keen, end quote. Socrates is saying that Alcibiades is still young and needs to work through the more physical and material form of desire before moving on to the philosophical. This is significant because historically Alcibiades would prove to be a hugely controversial figure in Greek history. He betrayed Athens for Sparta and then he would betray Sparta for Persia. The guy was a pretty huge asshole. Uh, Plato is clearly making a significant point by ending the symposium with Alcibiades and its effect would have been immediately identified by his contemporary audience as well as any modern reader who was versed in history. Plato is, uh, I think, making a direct link between Alcibiades' failure to appreciate Eros and his subsequent unethical behavior. Moving back to From Beyond, I think we can connect Alcibiades with Pretorius. In the film's climax, Tillinghast outs Pretorius by revealing that Pretorius could never have sex with a woman. He says that Pretorius could never cause pleasure, only pain, and he even goes so far to call him a eunuch. Interestingly, this is after McMichaels bites the pineal gland off Tillinghast's head uh, as a kind of castration. Uh, I think we can say that the enlarged pineal gland represents the monstrous substitution the desire for arcane knowledge has become for the actual, the physical. Uh, Pretorius is sexually dysfunctional. This drives him not only to BDSM, but also this radical physics. He can't appreciate what's in front of him, so he tries to go beyond. Uh, like Alcibiades, he's skipping a step in the erotic dialect, we could say. And uh, like Alcibiades, he commits monstrous acts. Uh, interestingly, the most grounded character from beyond is Bubba, who is presented as a sensualist. We see this when he makes supper earlier in the film. He's really getting into all his senses when he kind of smells it and he eats it. And you can see he's really getting all of this moment that he can. Uh, and out of all the characters, he's the most sensible. The most Socratic, if you will. He's the one who really wants to destroy the Resonator. He sees all the problems it can cause, whereas the other ones are all inviting disaster. Uh, some of you might think uh, it's a pretty regressive view of BDSM in this film, and I'd agree. This is the 80s, after all, when a lot of the culture, uh, on the one hand, reveled in sex and violence, while with the other hand, wagged his finger. Uh, how often do we see teenagers having sex in the woods only to be punished for their transgressions? I think Zizek would have a lot to say about this with regards to Reaganism, late-stage capitalism, and ideology. But I'm not going to open up that can of worms right now. Also, this is a work based on Lovecraft, who was almost as afraid of sex as he was of <laughs> Jews or black people or anyone who wasn't a wasp, basically. And uh, that's the end of the episode. A bit of a shorty. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't let an 80s horror flick kink shame you. I'm willing to bet that Plato will be down with it. He has a cave, after all, with a bunch of dudes chained up down there. Who knows what's going on? Uh, if you'd like to support this podcast, you can check out my Patreon or give me a nice review on iTunes. Also, my novel is currently available for pre-sale on Amazon. It's called After Dark Vapors a werewolf novel set in Newfoundland, Canada. If you'd like to know more, uh, check out my website, Brad Dunn, D-U-N-N-E dot C-A. Um, and thanks for listening.